is found in Luke chapter 5. And we'll read the first 11 verses of this beautiful story. Of Jesus and one of his early encounters with four of his disciples. Maybe there in your caption above chapter 5 it says Jesus calls the first disciples. But let's read these first 11 verses together. On one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He was standing by the lake of Genesaret. And he saw two he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished, at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Not long ago, just a, a couple months ago, I had the uh, occasion and the opportunity to officiate a wedding at one of the most beautiful churches that I've ever been in, St. Michael's and all the angels in Anniston. I don't know how many of you have ever had the privilege of going into the church, but it is one of the most beautiful sanctuaries. I know it has to be the most beautiful sanctuary in the state of Alabama if it's not one of the most beautiful in all of the southeast. And I went a few weeks early before that I, I did the wedding there, and I just wanted to go and go inside of the church and to kind of get the feel of it, where I would be standing, where everything would be happening. And when I walked into the church, it took my breath. It was that beautiful and that stunning. And, it, and if you ever have a chance, if you just want to go down one day and ring the doorbell and tell them you want to go through and see the church, by all means do. And I, I went through, and, and someone there from the church took me through, and I looked at all of the beautiful. It was built in 1880 by one of the noble brothers who founded Anniston, the city of Anniston. And I just looked around, and I was just taken in by how beautiful this facility, this sanctuary is, and how it stood the test of time and, and still so beautiful. And I think about some of the places that some of you have told me that you've been. Some of you who've been to New York City have been to St. Patrick's Cathedral or the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. Some of you probably traveled through Europe and you've been to some of the beautiful old cathedrals there. 
And I just think about how fortunate we are sometimes to worship in the beautiful settings and surroundings that we do on Sunday mornings in our churches. I had one lady tell me one time that she comes here privately a lot and sits in our sanctuary and she says, I just like to be in the silence and the stained glass and get in touch with the Lord. I know that some of you more are more outdoor people. I know that Pam Jones and Audrey Simpson, they walk the Ladaga Trail almost every morning, and a lot of times they will use that time to worship and to pray and to, and to look at all of the surroundings and know the beauty of God in that setting. God gives us here in Luke chapter 5, he gives us some of the most wonderful imagery of one of the most beautiful settings for any sermon that's ever been preached. Jesus is preaching by the seashore. He's there on the lake of Genesaret. There it's a part of the Sea of Galilee. And there are rolling hills all around him. And there's a beautiful beach that people are gathered on, a narrow beach. And it's just a beautiful place to be. This past week, I was standing um, at Highland Cemetery um, after the burial, after Miss Sue Dempsey's burial, and Jeff Haney and I were standing, and, and there was, it was a very overcast day, but there was one place where the sun was breaking through, and it was looking back toward Duggar Mountain, and Duggar Mountain was just illuminated, and it was just so beautiful, and Jeff and I were looking at it, and we we both commented about how sometimes we take for granted the beauty of the place where God allows us to be and allows us to live. Jesus is preaching in a place similar to that. And there are some wonderful things that happen here. There's a miraculous catch of fish that happens. It's a well-known miracle that we see here in Scripture. But more importantly, what is established here is the lordship of Jesus Christ and his call to serve and how he takes broken things and makes them new again. First of all, we see in verse number 6 that there was a broken net. There's a crowd pressing in on Jesus. They're there to hear the word of God. They have never listened to anyone expound on the word of God or explain the word of God or use the authority that Jesus did when he taught the word of God. And they're standing, they're crushing in on him there at that lake, almost pushing him back into the water. Uh, the fishermen have left their boats there by the lake, just, to, just there, and Jesus sees them washing their nets, and he gets in Simon Peter's boat, and he has Simon Peter take him out just a little ways from the land. And he sits down in this boat, that's probably 27 feet long and 7 feet wide. And Simon Peter positions it where Jesus can sit on the boat and he can sit down and he can teach all of the people who are there on the boat. Now, uh, there on the seashore. Now, I'm thinking about these men and how tired they are. These four men that are listed here in this account from Luke. They have what is probably the hardest vocation of any people of their day and time. They're fishermen. Now, a lot of you are fishermen. A lot of you like to go and fish. 
I, I saw this. I was looking for an example of how easy fishing is compared to what these guys had. And I found a Hummingbird Solix Mega GPS combo that shows a 4D image of the water underneath you. And you can get that for $3,500. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you spend $3,500 on that GPS system and you come home without any fish, you ain't a fisherman. All right? My car didn't cost $3,500. But I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Here's how they spent their night fishing. They have drag nets, and those drag nets are about 100 feet in a semicircle. And they take their boats, and they separate, and they drag those nets out, and they drop those nets, and here's what they do. It's back-breaking work and because they do this all night long. They're grabbing that heavy, rough net, and they're taking their hands over and over and over. And they're pulling and dragging that heavy net. You can imagine how heavy it is before the water gets on it. But as the water gets on it, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And if there are fish added to that net, it just adds to the weight of it. And it just becomes uh, one of the most back-breaking tasks that you could ever be involved in. And they repeat this process over and over all night long. And here's what the scriptures tell us. They don't have one fish to show for the efforts that they've made all night long. So now they have a change in priority. It's the end of their work day. And now they're busy. The sun has come up. And they're there in the hot sun. And they have to wash their nets. They have to mend their nets. They have to take the broken parts of the net and mend them. And they have to take those nets and arrange them to be dried. And once they're dried, those nets will be folded and placed in the boat for the coming night. Now, doesn't that sound monotonous? Doesn't that sound monotonous that they do the same thing every day? Their day never changes. They take their boat at night. They go out a little way. They hope to have the light of the moon to help them, and they work all night long, and then their day is not over when they come home, but when they get back to the shore, they've got to do all of this, this same routine every day. How many of you have a pretty same, you're, you, you have a pretty much the same routine day in and day out, and that routine hardly ever changes? Some of you may be in, in, a, in a position or a work life like that where your life, and some people just enjoy a good monotonous rut, and that's okay. But the monotony here in their day, their monotony is broken up by the presence of this great crowd that's listening to the Word of God being preached by Jesus Christ. It's not going to be just any other day because Jesus is there. How, how often, sometimes in the routine of your every day, in the routine that you're going through, and you're doing the same thing on Tuesday that you did on Monday, you're doing the same thing on Thursday that you did on Wednesday, and all of a sudden, in that routine that you go through over and over and over, 
All of a sudden, you hear the voice of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and He begins to speak to you in that routine day. And what happens? Everything begins to change because sometimes in our monotony, Jesus speaks to us and changes everything. These guys have toiled all night. They've worked all night, and they have nothing to show for it. And here's a great spiritual point that I want to make. Man's emptiness is God's opportunity. Man's emptiness is God's opportunity. That emptiness that you may feel in your heart, that void that you may feel in that heart, that desperate place that you may feel in that heart, that's God's opportunity. These men have an empty boat to fill. We have empty hearts to fill. And God wants to fill those. There's an opportunity there when we feel empty and we feel void. There's an opportunity there for God to fill our hearts with something new. Failure to this point is not a factor. Jesus isn't looking at these men as being a failure and, and not being able to use. If, what, if they had caught a boatload of fish and they were there and Jesus pointed to the crowd and said, Look at these men over here and the great catch of fish that they've made during the night. He wouldn't be able to do the miracle that he's about to do and use the example that he's about to do. But they, they put, Jesus tells them this. He says, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Now they're already at the shore. And here's, they're, they're, already, they're ready to go home and rest for a little while. But they have to leave the shore, and they have to get out the nets that they've just put away, that they've just put away to dry for the rest of the day, and they're thinking in their minds, this is the craziest idea that anybody has ever thrown at us. Our day is finished. We want to go home. We want to rest like anyone else. And Jesus, you're telling us to take our boats out into the deep, and we'll catch some fish. But here's what happened. The scriptures tell us the net broke because of the number and weight of the fish. The net broke because of the number and weight of the fish. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is your net empty? Is your net, is your net empty spiritually this morning? Is your net empty and, and, and you've been, you feel like you've been working and working and trying and trying, but your net spiritually is still empty? Jesus is saying to you this morning through this example, go out a little bit deeper. Go out a little bit further. Get to know me a little bit better. Trust me completely in this. What are you putting into the relationship that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ? And here's what this miracle requires. This miracle requires action when the goal seemed impossible. It seemed impossible because these men have a routine. They know that they catch these fish in the cool of the evening. They don't normally catch these fish in the heat of the day. It doesn't make sense to them. They, they're looking at this that it's impossible, but they act on it anyway. Listen, our churches face overwhelming odds today. Our churches face odds that they've never faced before. Our churches face competitions and our churches face uh, hardships and, and trials that we've never faced in, in our world today. And sometimes it looks impossible. It looks like the church in America and in the West is just going to fade away much as the church in Europe did. But it requires some action 
on our part to continue on. It called this miracle required for work when fatigue called for rest. Any bodybuilders in the group? Bree brought home last night. She came home with a box of Dunkin' Donuts. And she said these words to me. And I would like for each one of you to have a talk with her after service. She said these words to me. I normally don't buy you any donuts, but it's obvious you've gone off of your diet. So I went ahead and bought some because I didn't think it matter anyway. That's the love and encouragement that happens over on Meadowbrook Drive. On my own, yes. But those of you, these guys down here can tell you are, are, are athletes. And there's some other athletes scattered out through here who, who are high school athletes. And some of our coaches are here. And they can tell you that where they see their muscles begin to grow it's where they work that muscle to complete what? Exhaustion. When they work that muscle to complete exhaustion, that's when they begin to see that muscle begin to grow. I'll never forget in the youth group when uh, Coach Smith came here for the first summer that he was here and they did the first summer workouts with Coach Smith. And I had some kids in my youth group who were pretty Pretty good athletes and, 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 and in pretty good shape. Well, uh, Brandy McDonald, Brandy Cocker now, her husband is Craig. He's a coach at Alexandria. But Brandy, I was waiting at the top of the stairs here one, uh, one Wednesday evening, and Brandy just barely makes it to the top of the landing, and she has to stop. She's 15 years old, and she has to stop and get her breath. And I said, what in the world is wrong with you, Brandy? And she said, I think this new coach is trying to kill us. <laughs> but what's followed, what's followed suit from that, from that exhaustion? What's followed behind that exhaustion was the turnaround in how people responded and the turnaround in success. Sometimes spiritually, we're fatigued. But it's so important for us to work through our physical, spiritual, and emotional fatigue. Sometimes we're going to be at that point to where we feel like we just can't go on anymore spiritually. And that's where, that's where we are to be relying on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who Jesus promised us would come and be our comforter. The Holy Spirit who Jesus promised us would come and be our truth. That's when we begin to rely on the Holy Spirit. When we feel like we can't go on any longer, when we feel like we're just at fatigue, that's when we keep pushing through through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this miracle required faith when circumstances called for doubt. There was some doubt among these fishermen. They didn't think Jesus knew what he was talking about. James gives us clear instruction in James chapter 1. Verses 5 through 8, he says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. 
For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The scriptures tell us that we can't live lives of doubt. We have to live lives of faith. And when things don't look good and when things don't look like they're going to go the right way, we have to have faith in God. Now look at what this miracle demonstrates. First of all, this miracle demonstrates the Lordship of Christ. This miracle demonstrates very clearly that Jesus is who? Jesus is God. Jesus Christ is God and there's no argument with it. Then it's, it also demonstrates God's care for our physical needs. Do you have physical needs this morning? Jesus cares about your physical needs. This is how these men made a living. This is how they supported their families. This is how they, they supported their parents was through this living. And Jesus cared that their boat was empty. Jesus cared that they weren't going to make any money that day. Jesus cared that they were going to do without for that day. Jesus cares about your physical needs just as much as he cared about those men. God cares. And we see the power of Christ over nature. Jesus Christ was the creator of this nature. And Jesus Christ knew that it, whatever he wanted from this nature as the creator and as the sovereign ruler of this universe, that this nature had to respond to him. Listen to this statement. God's power to bless is greater than our capacity to contain. Listen again. God's power to bless is greater than our capacity to contain. We can't contain all the blessings of God. Jesus said these words in Matthew 6, 26. He said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? God is going to take care of you and your situations. So we see the broken net and all the symbolism that goes with it. And then we see a broken man named Simon Peter. When this miracle happens, his words to Jesus are these, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He didn't say, I'm a sinful man, Jesus. He said, I'm a sinful man, Lord. There's something different about you. It's a strange reaction. He said, this happened in Peter's boat. This happened with his nets. And with his equipment, God used Simon Peter's personal possessions to perform a great miracle. Peter was willing to give what he had over to the Lord and allow the Lord to use it and allow the Lord to bless it. What do you have to give this morning? What do you have to give? Do you have a testimony to give of what the Lord has done for you? Are you sharing that testimony with other people who you see struggling through something that you've gone through before? Do you have time to give to the Lord? Are you, are you, I, I, I was convicted by this yesterday. I believe it was Steve Gaines of Bellevue uh, Baptist Church in Memphis who said if you took the time that you spent on social media 
Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, if you took that time and you devoted that time to prayer, how powerful would your life be for the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have a talent to give to the Lord? We have people this morning who a lot of people would say, you know, well, they're, they're, they're our mature adults, and, and they've, they've got to do their thing, and, 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 and they just need to... These people, there's more talent sitting in this uh, choir loft right here than anywhere you want to go and find. And these men and women use those talents, even though they're in their late 40s, they're still using their talents for the Lord. Amen. Do you have money to give? Money through an offering or through a tithe. Give that to the Lord. Look at the awareness of Jesus here. Think about what's going through Simon Peter's mind. He realizes this. We don't know if there were hundreds of people there or if there were thousands of people there. But here's what, Jesus, here's what Simon Peter realizes. He realizes Jesus isn't like anybody else who's there. He has an awareness of being in the presence of Jesus. And Peter recognizes that he's in the presence of God. Now I want to make this statement. And I want it to be as plain and perf as perfectly understood as anything that I've ever said from this pulpit. You cannot be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and remain the same. Let that sink in. You cannot be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and remain the same. You're going to be different. When you are in the presence of Jesus, you're going to be different. In April of 1994, when Jesus Christ came into my presence, and He convicted me, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sins and crushed me and ground me and changed me. I have not been the same. I have not been the same. When you are with Jesus, you can't remain the same. People said this about me and Bree. We became Christians real close to each other within a couple of weeks. And here's... Uh, Bree was uh, a Christian a couple of weeks after I was. Bree was with a group of my friends. And these, this is what they were saying. Uh, he'll be back. He'll be back. Just give it. People do this. People get to feeling guilty about something that they've done. Or people go through these things. He'll be back with us before long. Don't, it was, don't worry about him. Like I had a mental illness. All right? <laughs> Well, <laughs> it'll be a counseling session with you tomorrow. There was a poker game. There was a poker game. And I wasn't there. And somebody said, where's Ingram? He hadn't been here in a couple of weeks. This was the phrase that was used. He joined the church. He joined the church. Right? To which somebody else at the poker game said, Well, I, I'm a member of the church. 
I didn't just join the church. I joined Jesus. Jesus changed my desires. I wasn't smart enough to be gambling no way. I don't, think I, I, don't, I don't think I ever made anything above a C in any mathematic course. I had no business doing anything where it was a game of chance, okay? But Jesus changed those desires. I didn't want to be there anymore. I'll, I'll never forget Chris Posey telling me after I became a Christian, Chris said, there'll come a point where you grow to the point to where you don't want to be in a place where God couldn't be glorified in that place where you are. Simon Peter realizes, I'm in the presence of Jesus. There's an awareness of Jesus, and then there's an awareness of sin. He became aware of what a sinful man that he was. And, and, and it, uh, he didn't just speak this, he cried out in agony. He cried out in agony. He said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Our sin should make us agonize. We should agonize over sin in our lives. Simon Peter says in his mind, he's saying, I'm not in the presence of a priest. I'm not in the presence of a prophet. I am in the presence of God in the flesh, and it has frightened me at how sinful I am. This is the response that many men throughout the Bible had. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Isaiah saw God in a way that no one else had ever been able to witness him, high and lifted up. And here was Isaiah's response, Woe is me, for I am a man of what? Unclean lips. He knew his sinfulness. Job who was in Job chapter 1, was described as being one of the most righteous men who ever lived. But when Job came into the presence of God, in chapter 42, verses 5 and 6, he said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. God, you yourself said, that I lived a holy life and that I hated evil. But in your presence, Lord, I feel so unworthy and so sinful. John the Revelator in John chapter 1 verse 17 said this about being in the presence of the Lord. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet though I was dead. There's an awareness of our sinfulness when we come into the presence of Jesus. Now think about Peter's first reaction. Peter's first reaction is to ask Jesus to go away. Peter's first reaction is to say this, Jesus, I'm not worthy to be here in your presence. I, I, I don't even want to be around you. I'm so sinful. But think about this. He, goes, he grows deeper in his relationship, and as he go, grows deeper in that relationship, he can't stand the thought of not being with Jesus. I was in a revival meeting with Tony Weaver one time years ago, probably 22, 23 years ago. Tony Weaver was running a, re, a revival here in Piedmont, and Tony said he was a young Christian, 
and he said that he noticed that he went to church on Sunday morning and the church was full, but he came back on Sunday evening and Wednesday evening and the church wasn't even half full anymore. And he said, you know what? I'm going to find out what people do on Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings. So Tony said he got his gun one Sunday evening and he went squirrel hunting. He said during the time that he normally would have been at church, he said he's sitting out in the woods with a gun hunting squirrel and he said the Holy Spirit began to convict him and began to, to speak to his spirit. And he said, I put that, he said, I went home and I put that gun up and I picked up my Bible and I tried to make up for that time that I, that I wasted not being there in God's house. And he said, I un, he said, I understood this. I don't understand how people can't be in the house of God when the house of God's open. And he, 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 Peter, Simon Peter said, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I can't stand the thought of not being with Jesus. Now look at the difference here. In Luke chapter 5, he says, get away from me. But look, in, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. This is one of the times when Jesus appears to the disciples after his resurrection. And look at the difference here. Look at verse number 4. It says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself in the sea. Simon Peter came to a point in his relationship with the Lord where he no longer wanted to say to the Lord, Lord, get away from me. I, I, I don't want to be in your presence. But he came to a point in a different situation after the resurrection. He came to a point to where there was such a longing in his heart that he dove into the water and he swam to the shore just to be at the feet of Jesus. Are you that desperate for Jesus this morning? Are you that desperate in your relationship to grow and see the difference? Are you willing to forget the world and everything that the world has to offer you? And are you willing to dive in and swim to Jesus and say, I want to be in your presence? And then we see a broken partnership in verse number 10. There's a key word here. It says, it's talking about James and John. It says, those who were partners with Simon. They were partners with Simon. Now think about this. These men had just made more money than they probably have ever made. They've, they have caught more fish. They've caught so, much, so many fish that their boat is almost sinking. Think about the market impossibilities for them. They had the market cornered. All they had to do was tell people, Hey, Jesus, Jesus blesses our boats, and our boats come in with the freshest the, uh, fish in the Sea of Galilee, 
They could have used Jesus as a marketing scheme. Amen? You see any churches today that use Jesus as a marketing scheme? It's not come and grow deeper in your... But they're using Jesus to promote their church and to pull people into their church and not into the relationship with Jesus. Now, they don't do that. There's still a lot of people lingering who saw this great catch. Now, here's the point here. You may have to break some partnerships in your life. You may have to break some partnerships in your life to get to where you need to be in your walk with the Lord. Because here's what, here's what Jesus said. From now on, you will be catching men. I'm going to make you fishers of men, fishers of people. Now think about Simon Peter's life. Think about this. From that day, he would be allowed to preach what is probably the greatest evangelistic sermon that was ever preached on the earth there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. The church on that day grew from 120 people to 3,120 people because Simon Peter was allowed by Jesus to be the one to preach the message there. Simon Peter was allowed by Jesus to go throughout the known Roman Empire and establish churches and nurture and grow those churches. He is one of the writers of the New Testament. This morning, many men will stand behind pulpits around America and they will use Scripture from either 1 Peter or 2 Peter and they will use those Scripture to pull people in and to hear about Jesus. Simon Peter, through his words, are still catching men and women today. Because here's what, here's, here's what it all comes down to. People are most important to the Lord. People are the crown of God's creation. And everything that God created, all throughout the creation account, when God would create something, He would say, the Scriptures say, and it was good. But when it comes to creating man and woman, the Scriptures say it was very good. We are the crown of His creation. People are the crown of His creation. That person that you see uh, every day, those people that you encounter who look lost and who look hopeless, they are the crown of His creation. And look here what happens in verse number 11. The Scriptures say this, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Him. They left everything and followed Him. It's a picture of surrender to Jesus. It's a, it's a picture of perfect and complete surrender to Jesus. They would lead their lives. They would lead their families. They would lead their homes. They would lead their work. And they would follow Jesus. And because they did so, the absolute whole world was changed because they did. Because they surrendered to Jesus. So what? That was 2,000 years ago. None of us are fishermen for a living. 
None of us toil that way. Jesus is not going to walk by a sea tomorrow and call us to go and leave our boats and be fishers of men. I'm going to tell you this. Somewhere where you are, you may be sitting in a place at school. Somewhere where you are, you may be working through your work day. Somewhere where you are, you may be in your home. But somewhere tomorrow, there's an opportunity for Jesus to come by and to say, I need you to do this. I need you to follow me in this capacity. Will you be ready? Will you be willing to surrender? Will you recognize that you are in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? And will you take that opportunity and will you surrender to him and follow him and give your life to him? Maybe here this morning you've heard the words of Scripture. You know the thoughts of these Scriptures. And maybe those Scriptures have caused the Holy Spirit to begin to speak into your heart and into your life and to point you to Jesus and to say that it is Jesus Christ that you need this morning for salvation. It's Jesus that you need to fill that emptiness and that void in your life. It's Jesus that you need to take care of this in your life and this thing that you have going on. This morning is an opportunity for you to follow and to do that and to surrender. I'm going to ask if they would this morning to come and prepare the music for the invitation. And as they do, I want you with a prayerful heart to consider, maybe God has spoken to you through this week and said, here's what I have for you to do. Maybe you want to surrender to that. Maybe he's been speaking to you for several months. Maybe he's pointed out that you need to teach Sunday school or you need to join the choir or you need to be a part of some ministry here. No matter what that is this morning, surrender to what Jesus is saying to you. Maybe you do need to come this morning and find the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. Would you come and surrender this morning and know eternal life through Jesus, through the forgiveness of your sins? As you stand, let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your word and how your word speaks to us and how it is exciting to know that your word is still alive, that your word is still powerful, and that your word still has the authority of the Holy Spirit to speak to hearts. I pray that if there's one here this morning who needs to know salvation, follow in believers' baptism, or join this church, Father, I pray that today they would do so. These altars are open for prayer, and whatever anyone needs to surrender to, we ask them to do in Jesus' name. Amen.